Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When we're praying this petition here in the Lord's Prayer, what is it we're praying? And how do we pray this in a fuller sense? We'll talk about that next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. We're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. Here today, we're looking at the fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We would invite you to join us today as we examine this petition in depth. Here now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, once again, Pastor Gary Wagner. We come today to the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And let me begin by saying that not everyone who offers this petition to God gets forgiveness of sins. Not everyone who asks God to forgive them of their sins does God forgive. And I believe that as we think about the real meaning and implications of this petition, we will understand the truth of that statement. And I don't think there is anything that can help us understand than the Westminster Larger Catechism. You're going to find in your bulletin an insert containing question 194 of what our catechism says about this petition and how it is to be understood. Now, remember why the Westminster divines came to the conclusions that they did about each one of these petitions. Why, though the petition itself is quite small, the explanation is long. And it is because they base their answer on a number of things, such as in this instance of uh, petition number five, they base their understanding on what forgiveness is, how forgiveness is to be accomplished, and what forgiveness implies in our lives. So let me read to you question 194 of the larger catechism, and if you would, please follow along. You'll see the insert there in your bulletin. Question, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? Answer, in the fifth petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, acknowledging that we uh, we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin, and therefore become debtors to the justice of God, and that neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt. We pray for ourselves and others that God of His free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin." Accept us in his beloved, continue his favor and grace to us, pardon our daily failings, and fill us with peace and joy in giving us daily more and more assurance.
assurance of forgiveness, which we are the rather emboldened to ask and encouraged to expect when we have this testimony in ourselves that we from the heart forgive others their offenses. Now, let's talk about the position of this petition in the Westminster Catechism, or the, I'm sorry, the Lord's Prayer. We immediately come to this petition if we understand what we are praying for in the first four petitions. The effect of praying the first four petitions properly and understanding them properly is a desire to pray for forgiveness of sins. Lord, hallowed it be thy name. I don't hallow and honor your name as I should. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, thy kingdom come. I'm not the faithful citizen of your kingdom that I should be. And Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, please forgive me. I don't always do your will. Lord, I need my daily bread. But how often have I been overly concerned with my material things? Oh, Lord, forgive me of my sins, my debts, as I forgive those those who sin against me. You see, if we understand what the first four petitions mean, then we are bound to ask God to forgive us of our debts. I want us to take time now to notice the relationship of the fifth petition to the fourth petition and to the sixth petition because there are some really great things for us to learn here. For instance, its relationship to the fourth petition. Asking God for our daily bread will always follow asking God for forgiveness because we understand that we cannot ask God to give us the good things of this life which... We forfeited, remember we talked about that last week, we cannot ask for good things, our material blessings, our our daily bread, which we forfeited because of our sins, unless God is pleased to forgive us of those sins that provoked Him to withhold His blessings from us. So whenever we ask God for our material needs, the next thing is going to be, and Lord Forgive us, because we know we have no claim at all on your goodness. We forfeited any right. Our only hope is that you would be merciful and generous, and that you would give us these blessings with forgiveness of sins. Moreover, we are always going to follow asking God for our daily bread with asking God to forgive us because we can't enjoy material blessings while our consciences are burdened with guilt, and we have no sense of having these sins forgiven, and we have nothing to expect as the consequences of our guilt except to be separated from God's favor and blessings forever. When God gives you any food, think about this. How in the world can you really enjoy it if you have no sense of your sins being forgiven and you know this is only going to get me one day closer to that day 
when I will have to suffer the consequences of all my sins. Therefore, we must pray that God will forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, what is the relationship of the fifth petition to the sixth petition, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Now, here is another inevitable connection. And that is, whenever we petition God to forgive us, the next thing we are going to ask Him for is to help us in the face of temptation and deliver us from the evil in this life. In other words, just as the fifth petition will always follow the fourth petition, the sixth petition will always follow the fifth petition. Because justification must precede sanctification, and sanctification will always follow justification. Now, did you see all of that theology in that one little verse? Here we are, once again, back to theology. Beloved, you cannot understand the relationship of these petitions. First of all, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Unless you really understand a lot of theology. Now, what are we praying for in the fifth petition? We're praying for justification. The continuing effects of justification. In other words, that God would remove the guilt and the punishment of our sin through Christ and would accept us as his children. And what are we praying for in the sixth petition? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are praying for sanctification. That is, Lord, keep me from evil. Deal with the corruption that sin has brought into my life. Help me not to live in slavery to sin's tyranny and sin's passions and sin's habits in my life. Set me free from the dominion of sin and the tyranny of sin. Those two things always come together. And the sixth petition does not come ever before the fifth. It cannot. You know why? You and I have no right, no right at all, to be cleansed of sin's corruption unless we first stand accepted with God, with our sins forgiven. We have no right to ask God to remove from us sin's corruption and pollution if, first of all, God has not yet forgiven our sins and put us in a position of acceptance with Him. And whenever we ask God to forgive us of our sins, we are immediately going to ask Him to deliver us from evil. Because sanctification always follows justification. They are inseparable. They are not, though, one in the same. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are accepted with God on the basis of what God has done on your behalf. And then that moment, a process begins in your life that is called sanctification. That continues to root out the old habits 
And you die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. And where the Holy Spirit in your life conforms you more and more into the image of Christ and helps you to mature as a Christian. Whenever a person's sins are forgiven, there is always this process of God making him holy. And that's important. I hope it's obvious to you, but it's not obvious to many, many evangelical Christians today who have this idea that all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart. And it would be good if you surrendered your life to him, but it's not really that important. Because just asking Jesus into your heart's going to get you in. But you see... This is separating justification from sanctification. That is saying that a person can have his sins forgiven without having the pollution of his heart dealt with by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you a quote from Pastor Herman Hoeksema. We must have forgiveness of sins before we can ever have the right to be delivered from the bondage of sin and from the dominion of the evil one. On the other hand, even while we pray for forgiveness, we already have in mind the petition for deliverance from sin that immediately follows. We could not possibly pray sincerely for remission of transgressions unless there were in our hearts the sincere longing for complete deliverance from all evil and from spiritual imperfection. End quote. What he is saying is this, to distill it all down. No true believer ever prayed for forgiveness without praying for deliverance from their sins. And I want you to write that down on the inside of your eyelids so you'll never forget it, beloved. No true believer ever asked for forgiveness of sins without asking in the same breath, as it were, God, deliver me from the tyranny of sin and from sinning so much. When someone comes along and says to you, well, You know, I've prayed the Lord's Prayer. God's forgiven me of my sins. You say, well, when you ask God to forgive you, did you really understand that next petition? Did you understand that salvation is not in sin? It is salvation from sin. And the Bible says that they called his name Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins and from sinning so much. So that if a person has really been moved by God to ask for forgiveness, that God would erase those things that are separating him from his master, then he at the same time says, Lord, I also pray that you deliver me from deception that you deliver me from hypocrisy, that you deliver me from being a slave to sin, from a sinful heart and sinful desires. Because, Lord, I want to live a holy life for you. In other words, the fifth and the sixth petitions are based on two promises that God made to his children back in the Old Testament concerning salvation. 
In Jeremiah 31, he says, I shall be merciful toward your iniquity. And in Jeremiah 33, he says, I shall write my laws upon your hearts. And a Christian wants both of these. A real believer says, Lord, I want you to be merciful toward my iniquity. I don't want to experience the consequences that my sins deserve. And at the same time, Lord, I want your laws written on my heart so that I will please you and live for you and not be a slave to sin any longer in my life. So Jesus teaches us to pray these two petitions. He begins with forgiveness of sin, and then he adds that God would protect us by the power of his Spirit and providence and sustain in us in the face of temptation and all the seductions of the evil one, said Calvin, so we may stand unvanquished against all temptations. So that we might stand unvanquished against all temptations. Doesn't that thrill your heart to know that it is literally possible to stand unvanquished, not conquered by all temptation? Or does it even matter to you? You say, well, I've never really thought about it much. Well, beloved, you see, a real Christian, even in his weaker moments, regrets every sin he has ever committed in his life. He regrets caving in to one temptation. And the one thing he wants above all else, though sometimes this desire is greater than at other times, is to use Calvin's words, I want to stand unvanquished as I'm being attacked on all sides by all of these temptations. I don't want to be blown over. I don't want to be sucked in. I don't want to be seduced. I want to stand firm no matter how severe the temptation may be. Oh God, forgive me of my debts and keep me strong. I want mercy with reference to my iniquity. And I so want your laws written on my heart. And that's the relationship of these two petitions. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. No true believer ever prayed for forgiveness of sins without in the same breath praying. Lord, deliver me from the power of those sins in my life. Now, let's look at the language of the fifth petition. Notice there in Matthew 6, it starts with the word and. Linking it with what had just been said. And that and must never be overlooked. Give us this daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. That little conjunction is teaching us that we cannot enjoy our adequate portion of the good things of life that God bestows upon us unless our sins are forgiven and we are accepted with God. And then comes the word forgive. The word forgive literally means to dismiss, to remit, to cancel out, 
to liquidate. And notice that the word that is used to describe our sins is forgive us our debts. Now, it's interesting that when Luke records the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. Well, that's not a contradiction. Because it is our sins that make us indebted to God. Because they deserve eternal punishment from His hands. Sins are called debts because that is what we owe God. It denotes obligations we have to the Lord, and there are two kinds of debts that we have. Debts of duty and debts of punishment. We owe God, that is you and I, as His creatures, a perfect life of righteousness. We owe God as our Maker and our Lord and our Savior a life complete of complete and perfect obedience every second of our lives to every one of God's laws. In Romans 8, 12, it says, We are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. That is, we have no obligation to live the old life that dominates unbelievers, but we are still debtors nonetheless. And we are debtors to the Holy Spirit, to a life of righteousness, debtors to duty. At the end of one of Jesus' parables in Luke 17, he says, in essence, when we have done what we were commanded to do, we have only done our duty and we are still unworthy servants. And because we are unworthy servants, we have not done our duty perfectly, and we have the debt of punishment, for the wages of sin is death. We owe God our punishment. We owe Him perfect obedience, and because we are unable to, owe, to obey Him perfectly, we owe Him our punishment for disobedience and our imperfections. And that is why sins are spoken of, of debts that we owe God. Another thing about the word forgive. Forgive is in the Greek aorist tense that denotes a definite and final and complete forgiveness of sins, so that when God forgives us, He gives us exactly what we need, which is complete forgiveness of all of our debts, the removal of our liability to all the consequences of sin and eternal punishment, and the assurance that God has done all of that and has restored us to His favor. Now, I want you to think a minute. Because we have said this so many times throughout our lives that it loses the boldness of the request. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How in the world can a sinner dare to make such a request? This prayer of forgiveness of our sins is bold, to say the least, beloved. It is audacious, to say the least, to ask your Creator to forgive you of your sins. Hoxima says, we are asking God to cancel all of our debts we owe Him from His heart and His mind, so that He will never recall them. 
And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408 866 5607 is our phone number. 408 866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.